We're going to be in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 25. We're going to be on page 2 of those black Bibles around you if you do not have one. And so as we do every week, will you guys please stand and as Rita reads God's Word. Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man, and the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man." Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Word of God. Will you please pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that you have given us the book of Genesis, and thank you that over these last weeks we started in Genesis 1-1, and you have been unveiling your creation to us. We've seen a multitude of unique beginnings that come to fruition in the New Testament. That You spoke and this world was created. We see that you uniquely created male and female. You gave us a, a mandate to be your image bearers and, and fill the earth, not only physically but also spiritually. And here in Genesis chapter 2, you you bring us to a unique relationship, a relationship called marriage between a man and a woman. And it's here you give us even more information uh, on what it means to be married, what it means to be a husband and a wife, what it, what it means uh, for a man to, to be alone and for you to see that need and bring along Eve to be a perfect helper, companion, complement. And so, Lord, I pray this morning, we, we know that um, there are singles in here who desire marriage. It's a good desire. And, and, and they get to learn and, and see your plan so they can look for the, the spouse that will appropriately meet those roles in which you call us to. And then there's marriages in here. And some of us are on green pastures and things are, are going well and they're going great. And there are others that are battling and are struggling. And Lord, I just pray that you speak uniquely to each individual here, that your spirit comforts those that need to be comforted, and that those that need rejoicing, Lord, that you would lead in the rejoicing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, go ahead and be seated. So, many of you guys know uh, Rita and I's uh, story and how we met. We met in... uh, The month of August 1990, our very first college class, the University of New Mexico. Uh, My wife went in there with one of those 10-pound backpacks with everything under the sun that you need to be a good student, you know, paper, pens, binders, all that stuff. I went in there as a stereotypical college athlete with nothing. Uh, I was there to major in eligibility. She was there actually to get a degree in something, right? 
And so I sat in the front row because I wanted to get my syllabus and just jet out the door. And of course, it was English uh, 101. Uh, uh, the teacher said, now get out your piece of paper and pencil and we're going to write an essay. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, man. First class, what are we doing here, right? And so all of a sudden I turned to my left because I have nothing um, in the front row. Um, I think maybe the teacher just did that in spite of me, saw that I had nothing. And all of a sudden I saw this nice, beautiful little tan leg, you know. And I just like, all right, maybe this class isn't so bad after all, right? And then there was this woman saying, do you need a piece of paper and a pencil? And I'm like, wow, you're real perceptive. Yeah, thank you, you know. In my mind I said that, not out loud, no. Meanwhile, the, the lady, which is my wife Rita, um, is probably thinking, who is this idiot that comes to class, right? Well, anyways, that's how we met. Uh, very first class, college, that's how we met, God's providence. We didn't expect to be at the University of New Mexico, but by his design, he brought us both there. Our first date, we went to Taco Bell, right? Taco Bell. Yeah, because, hey, athletic scholarships, they pay for you know, housing, food, dorms, and books. They don't pay for date nights, though, right? And so um, I took her to Taco Bell, 59-cent tacos. Order as much as you want, babe. All, whatever you want. Our first movie, we were in Santa Fe, New Mexico. We saw Home Alone, Santa Fe, New Mexico. So now, think about that, some of you that are, are married. Uh, how did you, when did you first meet your spouse? Uh, what was the first date you went on? What was the first restaurant you went to? What was the first movie you saw? Um, this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about God's unique relationship that he created in Genesis chapter 2 called marriage. This is God's original blueprint design that he sets forth in Scripture. He, he, he initially mentions it on page 1, but then he fills us in on page 2. So this means it's highly, highly important for us to understand and know. The Lord God has given us a, a, a very clear definition on what marriage is and how he wants to see it accomplished, what it looks like, what do we build on, the roles between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. And any deviation from this is not good. It falls short and will not glorify the Lord. And now I know there's a bunch of you know, culture warriors out there today. There are a bunch of uh, activists or individuals that have a, a bone to pick with what is going to be talked about today, but it's not really with me or with you, the bone that they have is with the Lord God, the Creator. And so be encouraged there. Now also we have, as I mentioned in my prayers, we have a number of singles in here, and, and you might be tempted to check out. You might say, oh man, here we go, we're talking about marriage, you know. But don't check out, because this message is just as much for you as it is for those that are married. It's very important, because, let me give you a couple reasons why. One, probably the majority of in you have a desire to be married. You have a desire to be married. It's a good desire. There is a gift called the gift of singleness in 1 Corinthians 7 that some individuals have, but the majority of you uh, probably have a desire to get married. So therefore, you must understand what biblical marriage looks like. If you're a woman, you, you, you must understand what to look for in a man, in a husband. And if you're a man, you, you, you need to understand what God desires you for a wife. You don't want to set a bar two inches above the ground because anyone can jump over that bar. 
You want to set the standard that God sets. Because as we've seen in creation, in the rhythms that he has, when, when God speaks and his rhythms are obeyed, there is blessing. But when God speaks and his rhythms are disobeyed, as we'll see in Genesis 3, there is pain, hurt, and trial. And then finally, you don't want to start out, again, as a house divided, right? And what I mean by that is you don't want to marry, if you're a Bronco fan, a Raider fan, all right? (laughs) Yes, all right. And finally, but and finally, if you are single, I want you to hear this. If you are single, when you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have God's word in you, you have God's word available to you. Therefore, when you hear God's design and these principles, you can you you, you can be used to bless us that are married. You, you can see as an outsider the marriage relationships that we have, and, and you can speak truth into our lives as well. And so don't think just because you're single you don't have anything to say to America. Well, because you do, because you have the Spirit and dwells you and you have His Word. So here are a handful, a little bit, a couple reasons why this message is for you. So let's dive right in this morning. First, we see a unique incompleteness. Uh, the last, last week, yeah, last week we, we, we saw that Adam was created uniquely. And then we saw that in, in, in Adam bearing the image of God, he was created and given a, a calling, a vocation, a work of, of naming the animals. And we looked at that last week. And here we look at the unique incompleteness of Adam in Genesis 2, 18 through 20. It says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast in the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name, or its name. In verse 20, the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. Now we see right here that Genesis 18 and Genesis 20 is kind of sandwiched, has two uh, it's very similar sayings. It's not good for man to be alone. And what we see, this should stick out like a sore thumb. Because in Genesis 1, we just saw, like, finally, it is good. It is good after every day. It is good. It is good. And by the time we get to day 6, it says, it is very good after he created Adam and Eve. So what's going on here? Well, remember, Genesis 2 is actually just kind of zeroing in on day 6 of creation. And so we're not at the very beginning of day six, and we're not at the end of day six. We're kind of somewhere in the middle where God is still working. So when it says it's not good that man should be alone or not felt a helper fit for him, it doesn't mean that there's some sin that's going on, that there's something wrong, that God forgot something. That's not the point, because we know that sin doesn't come in until Genesis chapter three. We're still in Genesis chapter two. So what does it mean that it's not complete? Or, or man should not be alone. What is God saying here? It's saying that he still has some work to be done. God is still not done creating. There's more creating to be done. It means it's not finished yet. He's just not finished yet. We're still in the middle of day six. He has some more creating to do. And so that's what it means. And we see that it's not good for man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And again, what we want to do, like we talked a little bit about last time, is we don't want to compress the narrative. We know in our minds, because of the Bible story, it's like, oh, Adam was, Eve, um, Adam was created first, he wasn't good to be alone, therefore he created Eve, boom. But we see there that, that there was some time that elapsed in that day where Adam actually had to name the animals. 
And in naming the animals, something very apparent stood out. And this is what the Lord wants to teach Adam back then, but also wants to teach teach us. And what God is restating in this incompleteness, that's not good for Adam to be alone. Because there was not a helper fit for him, um, what he's saying is, this is, this is, there's still some work to be done. As, as Adam named the animals, he said, hey, there's the animals, right? The dogs. There's a male dog and there's a female dog. They looked at the birds flying around. It's like, man, there's a, there's a male eagle and there's a female eagle. And then he saw the, you know, the, the reptiles crawling on the ground. It's like, oh, there's a, a male Komodo dragon and a female Komodo dragon, you know? And he's naming all these. And, and then he gets to himself and he's like, it's incomplete. Um... I have no partner. I have no one that corresponds to me. I am without. And maybe it's here that dog became man's best friend, right? At this part in the, in the story. I don't know, maybe. But again, what we see is the Lord is trying to point something out. He's pointing out a distinction between humanity, humans, Adam, that was created in his image, and the animal kingdom. You see, the, the animals... They didn't have the ability to understand or have be self-aware, or self-conscious to know that they would be alone. But for Adam, the way that God showed him his aloneness was by not creating Eve yet, his partner, the one that corresponded to him. You see here, Adam knows he's alone. And he probably feels it at some level, but it's not in a sinful way because, again, sin hasn't entered. And notice in the story, it's not Adam complaining. It's not Adam that brings up this incompleteness or this aloneness. He's not saying, hey, God, I'm looking at all these animals and these birds and these reptiles, and they all have ones that correspond. There's male and female, but what about me? You know, did you forget about me? You don't see him complaining. In fact, it's the Lord who points it out. It's the Lord that points out to Adam that it's not good for you to be alone. And again, so the Lord is trying to teach us something. He's talking, he's teaching us that's not good for man to be alone, that he's incomplete. Why? And let me highlight a couple important reasons out of verse 18. Now, there's several, but let me highlight a couple. First, humans are the crown jewel of creation. Again, we've been created to image God. And, and as we know, as we've been learning through Genesis, is that, that God is triune. He's one God in three persons. He reveals himself. And we see this in Genesis 1, where we see God the Father speaking and creating, and we see the Spirit there. Then we see in, in Genesis 1, 26, where it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. And so as image bearers of God, um, it's not good for us to be alone because we're not imaging the Trinity, the triune God, until we get a partner or one who corresponds with us. Adam, by himself, in isolation, cannot image God according to the way he wants it. So therefore, he brings along Adam. There is someone that needs to engage in the personal and the intimacy of the relationship that we see in the Trinity. For Adam to experience that and image God better, he needs a partner. Therefore, Eve is created. It is there we see that they can love one another and, and experience life and joy with one another, that there's a, a union with one another. That we see in the Trinity, that we see this special relationship where they have different roles and responsibilities in which they, they can live out. And we see that now with Adam and Eve, or we will see that. So that's the first thing. The reason why that, that, that we need partners as men is because we're imaging God, and part of imaging God is relationship, intimacy community. And we can't do that on our own. Secondly, 
we see that outside, again, of the gift of singleness, man is incomplete. And that means that, that man needs a partner. Uh, we need someone that corresponds with us. And here in the Bible, it says that uh, he, God creates Eve and, and he gives her the name or the, the category of a helper. A helper. Now, ladies, how does that hit you, right? Um, it, it doesn't seem like the greatest compliment, but let me argue that actually it is. You know, I don't, one thing I don't do is when I bring my wife to introduce you, I don't, I don't come, bring her up and say, hey, this is my helper, Rita, right? You don't introduce anyone like that, right? Even though it's an incredibly important term, an incre- incredibly important part in she plays. It's not a derogatory word. It's not a second-class citizen identification. It's not, it's not referring to your identity whatsoever as a helper, your identity with man and woman, as we saw in Genesis 1, we're equally created. God, there's, there's no separation there. Uh, this is talking about role and about function. And again, the rhythms of life, God has given us roles as, as men and roles as wives. And here, one of the, your roles as a, as, a, as a wife, as a woman, is to be a helper. Now, God himself calls himself a helper. God himself allows people to say that he helps others. This is a characteristic of God himself. So therefore it has nothing to do with being a second-tier citizen because if it's, a, if it's a characteristic that describes God and what he does, I think it's good for you as ladies as well. So in actuality, this is not a derogatory term, but it's actually a term of strength. It's a, it's a role of empowerment. The, the, for me, I need help. And in God's wisdom, he brought Rita to be that specific person with her passions, her intellect, her wisdom to complete and to help me in my needs. She is the one that strengthens me. She is the one that makes me better. Where I fall short, she comes in and builds me up. So this is a great term, a great characteristics, a great description, a great role that you ladies get to fulfill. And not only for me, but for, for all men. And notice it also says it's a helper fit for him. That literally means to correspond with him. That's a, this is an incredible truth. That all the women, the millions of women, when I was way back in 1990, God had a plan that there was one fit for Aaron Santini. And vice versa. And that was Rita Lynn Fiore at that time. And he brought us together. Because the way that she grew up, again, her passions, her experiences, her family dynamics was the perfect complement to the way that I grew up. Here's a great illustration, a way to think about it. Think of an airplane. An airplane could have, I should have, where's uh, Brandon Swindler? He's about ready to work on airplanes here. An airplane, like a 737, has like 360,000 different parts, right? A 747 says it has 6 million different parts, right? So those are a lot of parts. The thing about all those parts is, apart from themselves, they don't do anything. They don't, they won't fly, right? But all of a sudden, when you put these parts to correspond together and you put them in their right spots, in the right places, what happens? We get a plane that can fly and take us around the world. That's what it means to be a, a fit for him. Now, that Rita corresponds perfectly for me, and I for her as well. This is the idea of of being a a helper fit for your husband. 
Again, before Reed and I met in August of 1990, we, we both had different pieces that we were collecting upon our journey and different personalities and experiences. And then on July 1st, 1995, get that right? Yep, good. Um, <laughs> Santini Air was born, so to speak, right? And the same with you. And here's the thing. Because of Genesis chapter 2, because of this, understanding and knowing that if you're married, that God picked out that spouse for you, that there's not, that you didn't, you don't have to question if there's, if I married the wrong person or if there's someone else out there that I should have married instead. I, I always get questions all the time from young people. It's like, um, you know, how do I know that the one, you know, how do I know that I found the one? I said, well, when you ask them to marry you and they say, yes, that's how you know you found the one, right? There's some other things that go along with that, but you get the point. So yeah, so I can say with full confidence that if it wasn't for my wife and her corresponding to me, being the perfect help, the perfect uh, fit for me, our lives would look drastically different and not for the better, but probably for the worse. I can say that any accomplishment that we have had as our family, like our five kids, um, she helped in that. You guys got to get your minds out of the gutter right there. Because what I was talking about, she carried them and gave birth to five kids in seven years. She has been with my kids more than anyone else on planet Earth for the past 21 years. She's put her heart, her soul, her mind, her, her giftings, her wisdom into those kids. And they are who they are in a big part because of her. Now think about that just for a second, though, too, ladies. What would it be like, for those of you who've had kids, to give birth in a Genesis 2 world with no sin and no pain? Now, scripturally, um, Adam and Eve didn't have kids in Genesis 1-2. They came afterwards, I believe. But can you imagine about that? Instead of screaming during birth, you would be singing during birth, right? My wife, she, she, did, she, she wasn't a yell or a screamer, but she didn't want me to touch her. I was like, oh, babe, let me, let me, don't touch me, you know? I'm like, all right. She'd be like, Aaron, give me some of that massage. Get in there, right? No. Anyways, just a thought. I don't know. But the point is, is that she was the perfect helper for me. And if you're married in here, this is true of you and your marriage as well. Husbands and even single men, be thankful for the good gift of your wife or be thankful for the good gift that, that, God has for you, because without her, you and I would be incomplete and not be able to fulfill, ultimately, the Christian creation mandate to image God. Now, I want to pause and put a little parenthesis in here, because I think this is really important. Because I understand there are some of you in here right now that are fighting for your marriage, right? Or that, that your marriage is in a deep valley right now. Uh, it's a struggle, it's a battle. Right, right, right now, you might not like your spouse. I, I get that. I, and I also understand that there's others that have been burned big time in marriage. And they've been hurt, and there's a lot of pain. Um, and so I want to acknowledge that. We understand that, that we live in a fallen world, that sin is real, the enemy is real, the, the flesh is real. There's a battle in particular in this area. And I want to encourage you this morning that... As we look at the creation story, as you guys recall, we look at the God story through creation, fall, redemption, restoration. 
We are not in the fall stage, but we are in the redemption stage. And, and God's story is not being done written. He's still writing it. Therefore, that means if you are breathing, he's still writing your story. There's still redemption and restoration to be made in your life. Where sin, the flesh, and Satan are trying to blow you up, or maybe it even looked like they have won, that God is working. Assured, be assured that the Lord is working. He has the ability to restore what the locusts have eaten. As Isaiah says, that, that if you feel like a broken reed, he will not break you. If you feel like you're a smoldering flask, he's not going to blow you out. He's going to bring righteousness. He's going to bring justice. He's going to bring redemption to you. So, so hang in there. And if there's a way that we can serve you as, as pastors or, or, or in the body, you, you reach out to us because we are here for you. And we want to see you flourish. And you can flourish. And so I just wanted to, to, to put that out there because I understand that it's not all you know, cake and ice cream right now for some of us. So what we see here is a unique incompleteness. Therefore, that takes us to our next point. We see a unique creation, which is woman. It's not good for man to be alone, so therefore God creates a helper, a woman that corresponds to him. And this is what we see in verses 21 and 22. And it says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up in the place with flesh. And the rib that was the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Notice here that just as Adam was uniquely created, we saw last week, that Eve is uniquely created. Notice that, excuse me, last week that it talked about man being formed from the dust of the ground. And remember, that was artistry language. It was, it was the idea of an artist or a potter taking something and molding it and fashioning it with his hands. Uh, uh, and then breathe, the Lord breathed life into Adam. Well, here, it's not the idea of an artist. Here, the word he made into a woman is the idea of a master craftsman, a builder, an engineer, someone that puts something together to make something beautiful. That's what's being on here. So we also see that in um, Eve's creation, there's intimacy involved, just like with Adam, from the Lord himself. Made or fashioned. Again, that word means to build. So we see here that God uses a divine scapula first and foremost to first Adam sleep and cuts him open. And then he takes out some material, maybe some bone, maybe it's a rib, maybe it's not a rib, it just means side, uh, maybe some tissue. And he, and, he, and he sews Adam back and he creates and forms and crafts this woman. Here's what I want you to get. Women, this woman and women from here out, are the Lord's most beautiful creation by far. I'm looking at some of you dudes, and it's like, nope, missed it. <laughs> so men, husbands, look at your wives, all right? Single men, look at your friends and say, you are the most beautiful creation that God has ever created. Again, husbands, look at your men, that's your wives, all right? I know we don't ever do that really. That was kind of weird, but you guys get because we don't. I, yeah, yeah, good. You get the point. All right. But he builds the most beautiful creatures on the planet. He crafts Eve, a woman. There's uh, some myth and maybe some extra biblical story going out there about this. It was a conversation between God and, and uh, Adam. 
And Adam went to God and he whispered in their ears, like, why did you make Eve so beautiful? And God said, well, so you would love her. He goes, well, yeah, that, that worked, man. Thank you, Lord. That's awesome. But then he whispered so Eve wouldn't hear Adam. And so Adam whispered in God's ear, it's like, why did you make her so naive? Well, so she would love you, Adam. <laughs> Just kidding. That's not out there. All right. And he was like, oh, good. Thanks. That makes sense. All right. I think one of the best summations of this creation account came from a, a commentary, an old commentary in the past named Matthew Henry when he said this, and you guys might be familiar with this about creating a woman out of Adam. He said, God created uh, Eve from Adam, not from his head so that she would rule over him, or his feet where he would step on her or trample on her, but from his side where they would correspond with each other side by side. I think that sums it up perfectly. That Eve to Adam would be the perfect partner, the perfect co-pilot, the perfect teammate. And so after this, after creation of Eve, it says the Lord brings her to Adam. And what we have here is the first wedding, probably. is the first wedding. Um, as we read, it says that, that he created uh, Eve, made her into a woman, and then, and then the Lord, God, brought her to the man. That has the idea of, uh, of the father bringing down the bride to her husband. It's a beautiful picture of, of probably the first wedding. Now, for Adam, he might have been a little bit confused at first, as you can imagine, right? Because the guy goes to bed, then he wakes up, and he's married. And he's like, what just happened, you know? But when he sees Eve, that thought is quickly gone because when he sees Eve for the first time, it's just like that groom sees his bride, that first look. I love doing weddings because I, I, as soon as those doors open up and I'm just concentrated on the groom because he sees his, his wife come down. He's just like, oh yeah, you know? And this is what we see Adam's response was. He, he breaks out in this exuberant joy in this poetic song. I mean, the English doesn't do it justice. I'm, I'm told, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but um, Jed, let me help me out, the Hebrew scholar over here. This is like a massive, joyful expression, right, of, of, of Adam. He's like, yes, right? Now, it might not translate well in English, right, because Lazar says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. That probably wouldn't be the most romantic thing that you would hear. But in Hebrew, it's romantic. It's deep. It's passionate. Why? Because finally, Adam has someone that corresponds with him. And he's like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Or, you know, loves it. Now, some speculate since this is only words, the only words recorded and it's a poetic song before the fall that, that we were made to communicate through song. That, that we even see in Zephaniah that God is singing over us. We, we see that in the new heavens and the new earth, there's, there's constantly uh, new songs that are being created. And some, some, some might even think it's going to be like Mamma Mia up there with a musical going on. And again, again, I'm glad that's just speculation, right? But, but the point is, the point is, is that Adam is overjoyed because now he has a partner. He has someone that corresponds with him. And now that he can live life to the fullest in, in the Imago Dei, the image of God, and fulfill what he has been given to fulfill. 
He's got a new partner, a new companion. And now it's at this time, at the end of the sixth day, that we read, the Lord says, it is very good. It is very good. And that brings us to our third and final point, a unique relationship, marriage. In Genesis 2, 24 through 25, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We know in Scripture that the way they wanted to get a point across is they, they highlighted or repeated the verse, repeated words. We, we take Sharpies and we highlight, we underline, we circle, and, and that's how we say, hey, this is important. We want someone to listen up. Well, the way they did it is they repeated the phrase. They repeated the Scripture. And so this right here, this verse, Genesis 2, 24 through 25, is the most important verse on marriage there is in all of Scripture. Uh, Moses here obviously writes it down. God has Moses write it down. We know the Apostle Paul quotes it in um, Ephesians chapter 5 and a little bit in Colossians 3. We know Peter kind of mentions it in his book. And then we know that Jesus himself quotes it in Matthew chapter 19. So when you have Moses, the Apostle Paul, Peter, and Jesus quote the same verse, you know without a shadow of a doubt that this is the most important verse on marriage. And there's a lot in here. If you've been a part of the crossing, we have unpacked it um, in, in, many, in, in many times. So we're not going to get as deep in here, but let me just give you um, some ways to view this. You can view it through the lens of leave, cleave, and weave. And in that, we see five kind of pillars of this, um, of this building, of this structure. Uh, these five things. First, we see it's gender specific. It's a, it's a man and it's a woman. We see it's monogamous. Uh, it's singular in its verbiage. It's, it's a man to his wife. We, we see there's a creation of a new family. Uh, when the husband, when the man and the woman come up and they confess before God and others that they give their lives to one another and then they put rings on it and they, they kiss and they consummate the marriage, a new family is born at that point. A new family of God. It's not when you add kids. It's when you say, I do. There's a new family. So there's a creation of a new family, which is really important. And we see in number four that there's intimacy to be enjoyed. They, be, they become one flesh. And yes, that's talking about physical pleasure, but it's more than that. It's, it's emotional oneness. Um, it's mental oneness. It's a, it's a oneness where the two paths become one, and now all of a sudden you have the same goals, the same values, the same aspirations for life. It's, a, it's a, a oneness that is just deep, deep, deep. And five, it's to be celebrated. It says, and the man and his woman were both naked, and they were not ashamed. There's no shame here. It's to be put on display. It's to be celebrated. So these are, these are some of the, again, the structures and the pillars. And we could spend weeks upon weeks going through those. And we don't have the time. Again, we've done this in a number of sermons. We've even actually gone through the Song of Solomon, which God has put in here uh, as a book dealing with specifically marriage and dating and relationships. And so we did that a couple years ago. So I'd encourage you to come check that out, as well as we've done other teachings throughout the Bible on these roles. We're just going to scratch the surface, but they're highly, highly important. And this is where we need to dive in. But what we want to point out is this is the first and only marital and sexual relationship before sin entered the world. This is highly important, very important. Therefore, this is the, the, this is the pattern for us to follow. 
And even after the fall, because in Genesis chapter 9, the Lord still gives the same creation mandate again. So before the fall and after the fall, this is the model. This is the one relationship in which God says, this is what it looks like to be married. And again, we could spend weeks, but I, wanna, I just want to quickly focus on number one. Um, marriage is gender specific because um, obviously we all know we live in an age where this is a hot button topic. So it's a big issue. In fact, for the first time in, in creation and history, we as a, as a country have redefined what marriage is. We are the first civilization to redefine what marriage is since the beginning of time. And we, we know it's a hot button uh, topic in our culture, not only outside the church, but also inside the church. So again, I just want to quickly scratch the surface. This is in no way going to be exhaustive, but I want to scratch the surface just to give you guys some footings uh, to put our feet on. So one, why is it important for marriage to be between a male and a female and not two females or two males? Why is that so important? Why do we hold to that? Well, because we believe that Scripture teaches it. And at its basic level, God has created us in his image. He has given us a a mandate to image bear him and to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with other image bearers. The only way that can happen is between the male-female relationship. And so this is why this is so important. We see that male is, a marriage is between a male and female because at its basic level, at its foundational level, if we are to fulfill God's uh, mission for us as Christians that we need to produce other image bearers, male and female. Now, so that's at its basic level. And that's mostly I'm going to say about that for now. But that's foundational. Now, I understand there's also, there's some in here that might struggle with that. They, they struggle with, you know, same-sex attraction and, and whatnot. And you have, we all have friends and family members that are, are in this. And we might, I have a, I have a cousin that's married in, in, a, in a homosexual relationship. And um, that doesn't cause me to love him any less. Remember, as, as Christians, when Jesus came, he came speaking in grace and truth, right? It's both and. You can't have one without the other. They're a package deal, as my wife says. And so I understand that some of you that are battling in here, and I want to acknowledge that. And, and I want you to hear our heart at the crossing that we are glad you're here. This is a place where you can ask questions. This is a place where you can say, hey, I'm battling with this and know that this is a place, not perfectly, but by all by the power of the Spirit, that we are going to show you grace and love. And a part of that is sharing God's truth with you and what He desires for you. Because these are the rhythm, rhythms that He sets, and this is the rhythm that He says, this is where my blessing lays in marriage between a man and a woman. So I want you guys and gals to hear that. Now that's outside the church. Inside the church, the reason why gender is so important, because the Lord has created gender. It's good. It's good that He's created us male and female. In a lot of areas, we are similar. And then there's some areas in which we are different. And that is good. Uh, And both our similarities and differences run through our our, uh, physical, mental, and emotional characteristics. 
And it's because of our differences, the way we're wired, that the, the Lord has given husbands, because of the way He's created and molded them and shaped them, certain roles and responsibilities to primarily live out. Not, not, not only live out, but primarily. And the same with the wife. He's, he's created wives and women uh, uh, very particular to, to fulfill the roles and responsibilities so that when we come together, we fit together like a good airplane. And that we can shine in, in uh, the love of Christ and His love for the church. And so therefore, our gender differences are to be celebrated and to be obeyed because they put God on display in His creation and His design. Um, and, and in a myriad of different ways. This, this just became in kind of a silly way last night that the way men and women are different and the way gender plays out is that we, 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 we tend generally to have different temperature gauges in, in our bodies, okay? And what I mean by that is, is, is last night my wife and I were, were driving home and it was, you know, 50 degrees outside and I was stinking hot in the car. So I rolled down the windows, right? To which my wife replied, what are you doing, Aaron? It's not summer, Roll the windows up, I'm freezing. Anyone relate with me, right? Yeah. In general, you know, men are usually a little bit hotter, and then women are usually run a little bit cooler. So that's a silly way in which we see gender played out. But more specifically, especially concerning marriage, God has, has given us some clarity, some, some, some clear foundational principles on what it means to be a husband and what it means to be a wife. We've, again, gone through these in Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3, Titus chapter 2, and so many other places where God reveals himself specifically how our gender dictates our roles in marriage as a husband and wife. Again, the Song of Solomon would be a great study. Titus chapter 2, which we taught through uh, years ago, would be a great study for you guys to look at. So let me quickly just highlight uh, a role for a husband and a role for a wife. And to me, as I just step back and say, how do I want to approach this? I think to me, it's like, as your pastor, as your shepherd, I want to see you guys flourish in your marriage. I want to see you guys flourish. Young singles, I want to see you pick out the right spouse so you will flourish. Again, not perfectly, but that, 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 that the trajectory of your marriage is going to be good. And these two things came to mind. That if a husband is functioning in his role and his responsibility and it's healthy, again, not perfect, um, you're going to have a good marriage. And if the wife is, is functioning in this area, you're going to have a good marriage. But if it's not... If the husband, if you're dropping the ball here, if you're, you're failing big time here, and, and the wife, if, if you're failing big time here, you, it's going to be a struggle. And so these are the two things that, that popped into my mind. It's just through the years of counseling, the many years of counseling, that, that I could really probably point out that to every marriage, it probably begins right here. For the husband, Ephesians 5 calls you to be to love your wife as Christ of the church, which is the overarching one. And the best way you can do that <clears throat> is love her and lead her spiritually. It's to love her and lead her spiritually. It's to be the spiritual leader of your home. That's the role that you have been given as a man. Corinthians says that, that Christ is the head of the man and the man is the head of the wife. And, and what he means by that is that there's a, there's a, there's a, a structure so that these relationships function, function, function properly. And it's not to ever say that, that the wife can never build into the man or, or, or speak into the man or teach something to the man because Rita has been the greatest teacher spiritually and, and just overall in life in my life that I've learned from anyone. 
But for the man, this is your role. You're called to sanctify her and cleanse her and wash her with the word. Now, we know that, that that's Christ's job primarily. Jesus is the one that justifies your wife. He's the one that sanctifies your wife. But in that, he uses you to, to be a part of that process. He uses you, and, and you're leading, you're guiding, you're directing her as her husband. And so what we need to do as men is we need to take this book, the Scripture, God's Word, His design, and the principles in there, and ask the Spirit of God that dwells us to have us be filled with the fruits of the Spirit to, to lead our wives and to teach our wives that we are the primary disciple makers of our wives, that, that we open up the Bible with her and we talk about the Scriptures with her, that we pray with her, that we um, uh, lead her into community, that we are the ones on Sunday morning say, hey, let's, let's go, we gotta, we got to get ready, we got to wake up, we gotta, we got to get to church. That we are the primarily the ones saying, hey, life group's coming up. Let's make sure we get to life group. Now, ladies, you can do that as well. Again, it's, it's primarily. But for the men, as you do this, as you look at this book and you lead through this book, your wife is going to be loved. Your wife is going to be heard. She's going to be treated with dignity and respect. She's going to be cherished and she's going to be nourished. All the other attributes of what we're called to do as men will fall into place. Again, not perfectly, but you'll see a consistent change and a consistent way in which you love your wife and then her response to you. So husbands, we first must be the spiritual leaders. For, for, the, lot, for the wives, for the ladies, Titus says that the older women are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands. The best way, ladies, you can love your husbands is by showing them respect, is by honoring them and showing them respect. Generally, the way men feel most loved is through respect, is through being honored. And I know that's true of me, and I know of, of, of all the men, that, the majority of men that I talk to, especially when we do premarital counseling and other counseling, they're like, yes, that is it. That's how I feel the most love, when my wife respects me. Um, there's a lot to say about that. Let me, let me just say this. Rita, my wife, and this is true of your wife if you're married, she holds the most influence in my life. She, she holds the most influence in my life. She has that power, that position. And she can use that to encourage me and build me up through respecting me. Or she can use that power to destroy me, to, to, to take me down through disrespect. We, we've all probably seen um, the effects of, uh, of disrespect in, in our lives. But we've also, also seen the encouragement and the absolute wind that gets breathed into my sails when my wife honors me and shows me respect. And so... I love what my wife says when we do premarital, we, when we talk about this, and she leads this aspect when, when talking to the other women, how this is so important, how men feel most respected. So wise, if this is you, listen up. Uh, your husband needs to know that he is the man. All right? That he is the man. And all the men in the world, 
You are the man. But not only that, you're my man. If your man feels that, get ready to be loved on in a ways that you've never experienced to be loved on. It's a beautiful thing. And so this morning, these two principles, husbands, be the spiritual leaders, lead your wives. And and wives, respect your husbands. I think if if we walk in these ways healthily, again, not perfectly, but this is our desire. We seek these. You're going to see, again, your marriage flourish. Not be perfect, but it's going to flourish. And so out of all these characteristics, again, go back and listen to the other messages. But in marriage, if you want to have a great remarriage, these are two foundational principles that we should desire, that God has created us as male and female in our roles and responsibilities to be fulfilled. And when we walk in these ways, you will see a blessing on your marriage. So with that, we sum up, we close up Genesis chapter 2. In God's creation narrative that we're looking for, creation, fall, um, redemption, restoration, we've been in creation, Genesis 1 and 2. We've seen how God has ordered in the rhythms of this creation, how he calls it very good, and we see the blessings. And, and, and let's, let's, let's remember Genesis 1 and 2, because we know Genesis 3 is coming next week, and, and, and we know what happens there. All chaos breaks out. But for right now, let's just enjoy and bask in the beauty of Genesis 1 and 2 for one more week. And then take that when we come to Genesis chapter 3, because when we know the fall comes, God, as we said, is not done. He sent the Redeemer, which is Christ, and one day He's going to restore us back to Genesis 1 and 2, but even a whole lot better, if it could even get better. Let's pray. Father, thank You for, again, the beautiful creation story the creation that we saw over the last several weeks of just creation in general, but then in particular in chapter 2 where you've taken the general creation and you have focused it on a little piece of this creation, this wilderness called the garden. And in the garden you have created the rhythms of life. You've given us uh, male and female. You've created a work for us. You've created a special relationship within marriage and, and, and in that. And so, Lord, may we take that uh, over and be reminded of what is to come when you come back a second time. But, Lord, it's been good starting at the beginning to re- be reminded of your goodness that we have been created in your image, that we have been given a mission to be your image bearers in this world. And that that mission, we know we have friends and family where we live, work, and play that do not know you. And so when we take that mission to them with grace and truth and love, informed by your word and empowered by your spirit, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.